Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of West of Everest. Yes, I know. We were MIA last week, and we didn't let you all know until the last second. Apologies for that. Candidly, I just didn't think our performance would have been up to the standard we've set for this show. So I don't want to waste any of your guys' time. And so if the show's not going to be any good, we're not going to put it out. That being said, we're back today to go through all of the interesting things that have caught our eye or grabbed our attention since our last episode a couple of weeks ago. By the way, I am Lee Benson. You can follow me on Twitter at Lee Benson News 9, Grant's at Grant Benson 25. Also, if you're more of a Facebook person, you can like the West of Everest Facebook page. You can comment and or reach out to us at your convenience on the West of Everest Facebook page. All right, not really a lot of breaking news since our last show surrounding Oklahoma football, but there has been a lot of Zoom press conferences that have provided some interesting information. So today I've got a list of the most interesting things I've heard in these Zoom pressers in the last couple of weeks. I think Grant's got some stuff he wants to talk about as well that have stood out to him. So we'll throw it all out there, put it in a bowl, mix it together, and see where it all goes or something like that. I don't know. Plus, Oklahoma hired Porter Moser since our last show for Uh, the Oklahoma men's basketball team. If we don't go too long talking some football, I'm sure we'll probably at least comment on Moser's hiring at some point near the end of the show. So let's get started, Grant. uh, Now, do you have a list of things that you want to talk about, or is that just something that I put together? Yeah, that's just something you put together. Unfortunately, I had a lot of work things to do today. Um, Just saying that sentence makes me sad, but oh well. All right, fine. Well, uh, I do have a couple of sound bites, uh, actually three, uh, three in total to play today. So that'll give us a little bit more um, uh, production value. There we go. I was looking for the right, the right word. And as right now, I'm kind of filibustering as I find the first sound bite because it's going to be off the top of the show here. Okay, I got it. So, all right. I have my list of interesting things that I've heard in Zoom pressers the last couple of weeks. And we're going to start with the offense. And you know what? Uh, DeMarco Murray talked last week, and he had some really interesting comments about Tennessee transfer running back Eric Gray. And I'm going to play those comments to kick us off here on this episode of West of Everest. Oh, yeah. The first word that that comes to mind about Eric Gray is a pro. You know, he's a true pro on and off the field. Uh, He's a guy that shows up early, um, stays late, um, you know, extremely smart. Um, The transition for him offensively, scheme-wise, has been very, honestly, easy for him. Um, You know, and and our offense is (laughs) extremely complicated. I'm still obviously learning every day, um, but... Uh, you can just kind of tell his his professionalism, his approach to the game, and and what he wants to accomplish, and it, it's been great. You know, he's a heck of a player, great person, great young man. So, you know, we're we're, we're fortunate to have him here. All right, Grant. So I gotta I gotta be honest with you, and I'm probably not alone in this um, in this category or in this bow. And we've we've talked about it a lot since Gray committed to Oklahoma. I'm incredibly excited about this guy. I mean, just seeing his tape from Tennessee and now hearing that it's coming very easy to him so far in spring practice. I think there's a world in which he's the best running back on the team. I know Kennedy Brooks is back, and I'm excited for that as well. But the fact that it's going to be Kennedy Brooks, Eric Gray, and some other talented players that can push those guys as well, hopefully once we get to the fall and everybody, you know, injuries not included, hopefully that's not a thing. I'm really excited about Eric Gray, and I, I mean, everything we heard from DeMarco Murray, it makes me think that this guy's going to be a huge part of this offense this year, especially because we know how apparently 
difficult it is to get Lincoln Riley's offense under your belt as an offensive player. Maybe not so much for Eric Gray. It seems like he's getting it right away. And so that excites me, Grant. Just to touch on a couple of themes that we had in our show a couple weeks ago, Lee. Uh, we talked about, one of the things we talked about is if somebody is special, right? Somebody is really talented and somebody is just a really great player. A lot of the times they can come in and they can get it right away. They're, they're able to produce right away. Um, hopefully this is, this is what DeMarco Murray is saying right now about Eric Gray. Also at the same time, DeMarco Murray used to be an all pro and he's describing Eric Gray as a, as a pro that, you know, that's, that's not normal. And to touch on another theme, one of the biggest themes of the show uh, a couple weeks ago was that the hype train has left the station for Jeremiah Cordell. The hype train has, has, has very, very obviously left the station for Eric Gray. I, I don't know how you can read those comments from DeMarco Murray and not take anything else from it. Um, he was singled out specifically. We're going to get to it here too. Uh, you know, the coaches are, are allowing him to speak to the media already. And so I'm excited for this guy. Um, in the two weeks since you've heard us, uh, our last show, guy, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I don't know how else to describe what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling right now, other than I'm, I'm really pumped up. We're at that, we're at that part of the year right now where the hype is really getting to me, getting to the point where it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't really bottle this up anymore. I mean, it's and and the Eric Gray comments. I mean, this is that that's what fired me up the most in the last two weeks. Uh, you and I have been, you know, fairly outspoken on this pod. We we thought kind of right from the get go that Eric Gray was going to be a really big part of this team. We thought it was a really key addition, uh, and and it's nice to to have Demarco Murray uh, kind of confirm that a little bit, not not explicitly, but definitely sort of reading the tea leaves a little bit. So. Man, can I, I? And man, am I excited for this guy! Um, and we're, we we got more clips later on where where he's described, you know, him and Mikey Henderson as the guys who are who are the best pass catchers uh, in in that running back room. Lee, I think Eric Gray is going to make a massive impact catching the ball this season. Um, I, in fact, there, there's there's at times where I think that may be hit, like where he's the most dangerous for OU's offense. Yeah, I don't have that sound about Mikey Henderson, but we'll talk on that uh, here in a moment when we kind of get past Eric Gray. But I, I wanted to go over some other notes I had from his availability because I, I didn't pull any sound from Eric Gray. He was really good, uh, but I, you know, I, I didn't want to pull a whole lot of sound because it kind of gets it gets difficult for me to edit this all together. But I like that bite from DeMarco Murray. I do like hearing from Eric Gray. The reason he came to Oklahoma is basically exactly what we all kind of hope all these elite Let's you know, hope five-star high school players are seeing Oklahoma as and want to go to OU. He basically said, "Yeah, I, <laughs> I knew from the jump that I wanted to go to Oklahoma. Whenever he got, you know, went to the transfer portal, because he, he knew how great the offense was. He wanted to play for Lincoln Riley, and he knew his position coach was Demarco Murray, uh, who was a pro, and that's why he wanted to go play at Oklahoma. And you know, that's the ingredients we hope to getting more elite." running backs in the future out of high school not just the transfer portal so it was nice to hear eric gray talk about that during his availability uh let's see going through gray my also here. and this this just popped in my head gray also said during his availability and this was like a week and a half ago now he said something along the lines of how it, it wasn't coordinated between him and key lawrence and wanye morris that's I that's that's one of the hardest to believe things I have I have like honestly heard from a press conference 
that's maybe maybe he's just kind of being a little coy there, being kind of smart, so there's no tampering involved there or anything. The chances that those three guys made the decision on their own fruition without talking to each other is so unbelievable. But that's I mean that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in the media, when we listen to that live, we all might might have rolled our eyes a little bit. Uh, he said it was a coincidence. They all came there. Said it definitely wasn't planned. And I don't know if I put it in my notes, but I think at one point, I think Wanye Morris first was the one that committed to OU. And I think Eric Gray said that, oh, when that, once that happened, then he, he talked to Wanye, like, oh, why'd you pick OU? You know, hey, like, tell me more about it. Like, okay, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, it does seem a bit, um, it, it, it seems unlikely that it's a coincidence. But we have no evidence to prove otherwise, so we must take him at his word bottom line is it doesn't matter i just thought it was kind of no funny. it doesn't matter yeah uh, i did like i mean he was asked you know what's your running style like and it seemed like eric gray had a canned answer for it like he it's like you know the you hear that whole idea of like the the elevator speech or the elevator pitch if you have like want to get a job or you have an idea it's almost like eric gray has his elevator pitch on what kind of running back he is and i didn't pull this clip but i kind of wish i should have but he basically said Oh, I believe I'm a three-down back who can do it all. I can get the hard yards, but I can take it to the house, and I can make people miss. I can block out of the backfield. I can line up and then catch the football. I can do it all. And he just he rattled it off like he said that to many other coaches before uh, and maybe other media members, so I, I liked his confidence there. Eric Gray, best running back ever, confirmed. <laughs> he, can, he can do it all. Uh, and lastly on him, as I, I go through the rest of his presser, he was asked uh, by Josh Calloway if he comps his game or tries to mimic his game off of any other NFL-type running backs. And he said, you know, I, I, I try to model my game after Barry Sanders, which is like, oh, whoa. <laughs> That'd be a pretty good guy to model your game after. Uh, but he said, now, if we're talking guys actually in the league right now, I'd probably say Saquon Barkley. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could take Saquon Barkley in the backfield for Oklahoma in 2021. So everything he said was great. I mean, I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, this is this is all confirmed. He, I, OU is going to have the equivalent of Saquon Barkley in the backfield this upcoming season. I mean, he said it, right? <laughs> uh, if, if that's how you want to take that, yeah. Uh, it, the, the one thing it sounds like he needs work on is, is improving his pass pro. He acknowledged that. Actually, I think DeMarco Murray said it. And then uh, he was asked about his protections. He said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm working on that, trying to keep his hands inside, get better leverage, hips, explode. So like he's, he's got, he knows what he needs to do. So, I mean, not everybody's perfect. Uh, and I also I asked him, you know, the difference. Hey, like you, you came from a, uh, a Jim Chaney coached offense at Tennessee, and now you're here at Oklahoma. It, I, mean, I didn't say it that way, but I just said, hey, what's the differences between Tennessee and Oklahoma? He said mainly it's just the, t the terminology. And uh, that, that's the main thing. And just – you know, more patience here at Oklahoma. And it was kind of like a kind of a backhanded, not compliment, because that's not the right word, but like he, he took like, he, he wasn't trying to, but he kind of slapped the Big 12 in a way. And he wasn't, again, I don't think he was trying to, but he said that the SEC, it's, it's so fast and it's like everything's a million miles an hour. But now he's kind of learning more with his Oklahoma offense to kind of be more patient and let your blocks kind of form. It's all, which to me, it's almost like, well, Maybe that's just because you're at Oklahoma now where you actually have time and your offensive linemen are pretty good and your offense is really good, so you actually can have patience and time to let these plays develop. 
But I kind of thought that was interesting when he talked about how the SEC was just so much faster. And, uh, and now it's different so far for, his, for him in spring practice. I mean, it's probably a little truth to that. I, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I yeah, mean, whatever. That, that, I'm not even going to. That comment yeah. doesn't. It, it doesn't. We don't need to expand on that. It, it just it is what it is. Um, I'm excited for this guy. I don't really know what else to say. Um, the fact that uh, the fact that he was in front of the media says a lot to me. He's been he's been with the team for like two months now. Um, so the fact that the that the coaching staff, Lincoln Riley, DeMarco Murray, is comfortable putting it, putting him in front of the media, I think really does support the the pro moniker that DeMarco Murray brought, you know, gave him, and he really well spoken, uh, took every single question, answered it really well. You know, I this is. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Like this, this is one of those guys that maybe he's just so good that he steps on the field and he just gets it. He just gets it, and uh, and that's what Demarco Murray is telling us. Maybe we should listen to him. And just uh, drive this home. We all know this, but I mean, he's coming from a not very good football program, and he's coming to a really good football program, and that's going to make a huge difference as well. Just uh, I. I and not to mention the offensive style and just the, the level of offense that he's coming from. I mean, we over the years, we going back to the Rose Bowl in 2017. I mean, I, I, I think Jim Chaney's offense is stupid. I can't believe that guy is still has had coaching jobs. I mean, he was able to get away with it because he was at Georgia, you know, with all these one of the best offensive lines two all pro running backs or I shouldn't say all pro because Sonny Michelle's not an all pro, but Nick Chubb is. Uh, Sony Michelle was an all all American. Was he an all American at some point? He might have, no, maybe he wasn't. Okay, you're shaking your head. No, uh, Sony Michelle though was a really good running back. Uh, but that offense at Georgia that Jim Chaney ran was was not good. And he brought it to Tennessee, and it's it wasn't good there. So now Eric Gray was in it for two years, and now Eric Gray's coming and playing for Lincoln Riley's offense. That's going to get anybody super excited and is going to uh, elevate them and make them even better than they were. You would think, in theory, than they were at a stop when the the previous offense was very limited. Not to mention with a limited quarterback, too. Got to come after you again. I, I, I really hate to relitigate conversations that we had all the way back in 2017. Uh, those Georgia offenses were not bad. Those Georgia offenses were really good. They may have been a lot better if Jim Chaney was not coordinating them. Uh, but that, that offense that the, that the Sooners played in the Rose Bowl, that was the best offense they played all season long. Finn, no, that's no all. it wasn't. It was, it, was, it was just run left, run right, and they had better players than Oklahoma's defense. That was it. Yeah, that was so the difference. I, what I don't know what offense was better than them. What offense put up points easier than they did in that game? Got chunks of yardage easier that they that they played in that season. Well, that was I mean they went against Oklahoma's defense. Oklahoma's defense was terrible. They I mean they that offense was not nearly as good when they went up against a real defense the next week against Alabama. And I really, I mean, I mean they, they were, still should have won that game. They should have won the game. They uh, they were able to run the ball in Alabama. I don't know. I mean those. Uh, get, yeah, I, I think Jim Chaney is... Yeah, this is stupid. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Jim Chaney, I, I, I don't think, is a very creative offensive mind, but he does understand what the players on his team does, do well, and then he, he adjusts. I mean, that's, that's what he did. I, you know, I, that, that I, 2017 I know that. Georgia I, offense was extremely good. That's all I got to say. It had a lot of talent. The system was very generic, and with lesser players would not have been a good offense. It's... They, it's if, they scored a lot of yeah. points, got a lot of yards. It doesn't matter if, if, if it's because you know their players were better than most people or because of who their offensive coordinator was. The offense was good. It was good. I, I mean, I don't, 
I think you're, you're I think you're I sort was, of arguing yourselves into a circle here. It was a it was a predictable offense. I remember watching the Rose Bowl. I was pointing out plays before the snap. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I knew. I, I did. I, yeah, I knew what plays they were going to run too. It was still hard to stop because they had a bunch of NFL guys up front. <sighs> Man, what a time. I know we want to we want to make sure that you're that you know you're being being fair here you're being accurate like a bad off like kansas has a bad offense georgia did not have have a bad offense kent just, state I, has I, a bad offense akron has a bad offense how much akron and kent state football have you watched how do you know they have a bad offense? those are that, just the two those are the first two that came to mind no i i my my point is his coaching offensive philosophy is in my opinion old school and bad it's not good and he was limiting the type of type of offenses he could have had with the type of talent he had I don't in know. that I Georgia don't, team. I don't know if Jake Fromm could have executed like a high-level NFL passing offense as a true freshman. I think it's probably pretty smart to give the ball as many times as you possibly know, can man. to your two NFL running backs. I mean, Jake Fromm beat out Justin Fields when Justin Fields is on campus there, so he must be pretty darn good. Uh, just don't forget about that. Oh, boy. Okay. Back to Oklahoma football. You mentioned Mikey Henderson earlier. And my next thing that interests me, and it comes along with the running back room, is now that we know Mikey Henderson is in the running back room. And we've talked about it a bunch, a lot last year. I mean, we're all a big, we're all big Mikey Henderson fans. He was a quote-unquote fan favorite. We wanted him to touch the football a lot more. And I think we debated a couple episodes ago, like, okay, what does this mean? Like, is, I, I think you were kind of like, I don't know about this move because maybe he's not going to get as much opportunity. Whereas my thought was like, no, I, I think this is a situation where Lincoln Riley gives a lot of his running backs, all of his running backs, a shot, and he thinks this guy's good enough to, like, he can be in there with Kennedy Brooks and with Eric Gray and with uh, Seth McGowan and Marcus Major and actually be a legitimate player. That's kind of the way I took it. And DeMarco Murray straight up said that, the, the two best running backs that catch passes are Eric Ray and Mikey Henderson. He said, quote, receiving and route versatility, those guys are the best we have on the team, or at least in the running back room. That's kind of refreshing. Like, who, who on this coaching staff has, like, has talked like that before? Like, I, I wish that's what Bill Beanbow did, just, like, just, just, <laughs> just reeled off the five best offensive linemen. Yeah, here's the best guys. Like, that's, what, that's essentially what Murray just did there. Um, See, and a, a tease later in the show, another assistant coach may have done a similar thing that a, a similar thing to that uh, earlier. I guess this was last week, but I, I'll explain that later, though. But another coach may have done something kind of like that, though, Grant, that we can debate or not debate, but just discuss. Uh, that's stupid debate. I mean, this is not, not going to be a debate. Yeah, I think. Uh, I've, yeah, I've, I've thought a little bit more about the Mikey Henderson moving to running back thing. Um I think it's likely that it's it's probably not for good. It's not, it's probably not. He's just a running back, and that's all he's going to do. I, I really can't imagine that's the case. Sort of my can take on it is is essentially if this if this allows him to get on the field more and touch the ball more, then I'm in favor of it. I'm in favor of any position he plays that allows him to be on the field as much as humanly possible. I think we all sort of, you know, fall into, we fall in love with the idea of him being at that, at that H-back role with, you know, Dimitri Flowers and Jeremiah Hall and all that and, and how effective they were and are catching passes out of the backfield. And now you hear, geez, I mean, you hear DeMarco Murray say that Henderson is 
uh, in that running back room is is the best receiving and route running and, and all those guys of those. And so I, I man, that sure sounds really great from the H back position. Um, but maybe there's just some stuff that we're not privy to. Maybe he can't block at all. Maybe that part of the game is just not really clicking for him. But man, if I hear that he's really good at running routes and catching you know passes out of the backfield, geez, man, you can do a lot of really interesting things with him from the H back role. And maybe you can too from the running back position as well. We'll see. Um, but I think we all agree that, that guy needs to get on the field. He needs to touch the ball as as much as 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 it's feasible. Um, and if this allows that to happen, then I suppose I'm in favor of it. I just I don't know. Like I, Gray and Brooks seem like a pretty good one-two punch, and, and I know history suggests in this offense you can't just rely on two guys. Like that's just that that can't be the case. Someone's gonna get hurt. Someone's gonna get dinged up. Um, but also at the same time, like I, I would, I'd prefer Mikey Henderson not to be third string behind someone like the third option. Um, but yeah, like I said, maybe there's stuff that we don't know. Maybe he's, he's having trouble picking up the H back role. Um, but Mike Henderson is great. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to see quite a bit of him this upcoming year. So just, uh, to give, uh, give you an idea of what Lincoln Riley has been saying about Mikey Henderson, this was, about 10 days ago or so, a little more than that, uh, April 2nd to be exact, he was asked about uh, Mikey Henderson. And so Lincoln Riley said that Henderson can do a lot of things for us. He played in the backfield a lot last year. We're doing now, or what we're doing now is an extension for that. He's doing a nice job. We're trying to push him to make that jump from being a role player to becoming a guy that plays a bulk of the snaps. It's not an easy jump. You got to you know you got to learn the no huddle offense. There's a wider variety of assignments, game planning, you know different looks from the defense. But Mike Henderson so far is doing well with it. So you hear from Lincoln Riley. I mean they're they're trying to get him to a position to a point where he can be somebody that can play, according to Lincoln Riley, quote a bulk of the snaps, which we saw last year he wasn't a bulk of the snaps type of guy. I mean he he was a a guy that was yeah if he was in he was getting the ball there, yeah essentially. Um, yeah, yeah, and maybe this is you know, maybe they are are, are going to cross train him a little bit. I'm sure Lincoln Riley has, has has come you know has come up with some really interesting ways, creative ways of maybe getting someone like that the ball, some guy who can do both running back and H back. I mean, I I don't even know how how deep Lincoln Riley's imagination goes, but I'm sure he can really get screwy with some defenses with it, uh, with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we're I think we're all kind of on the same page with our fingers crossed that he does take that next step because if he if he takes that next step, I there's this this offense is just there's it's an embarrassment of riches at at the skill positions right now. At least that's what it looks like going into the year. Well, let's stick with the offense and transition to the next thing that caught my eye or I guess my ear more specifically, considering this is a podcast. And last week. We heard from Jaden Hazelwood and Trajan Bridges. So two guys, obviously, that uh, one of them really didn't play at all last year, Bridges, and Hazelwood came back late after the injury. And it was good to hear from those two guys, but the, the, the main thing that stood out to me was from Hazelwood, and it was on a question that I asked him because I wanted to ask him about how Lincoln Riley essentially called out the wide receivers before the spring because he didn't like the production in 2020, or he said the production in 2020 basically wasn't up to the standard. And I know that Hazelwood didn't play much at all in 2020, but I just kind of wanted to get a receiver's take uh, on what Lincoln Riley said. So uh, here's the last part of my question to Hazelwood and his full answer. 
when he challenged you and when you hear that you all have a blank slate, what was your reaction to that? I mean, I expected it because I felt it anyway. Like, I saw it with my own eyes, and I'm sure the other guys did as well. I mean, we, we I think we led the we led college football in most dropped touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, it's something like that. And uh, we that's not us. Like, we, we're better than that. We Like, we... We all are dudes, so we all gotta we gotta shake back from that and and just prove the critics wrong. It's not even about even proving them wrong. We doing it for ourselves and for this program as well, though, because we we all got a goal at the end. We trying to win a natty, so drop touchdowns. We, that's not that's not it. All right, Grant. What is your immediate reactions to that piece of audio from Jaden Hazelwood? I also would really like them to win a natty. Um, mm-hmm. That's awesome. I, that's. Again, like maybe like drink if you hear this again. Self awareness, I, I like I like to see it. You know that's that means he's he's and why why is self awareness important? Because you need to be self aware in order to work on the things that you need to work on to become a better player. That that's why it's good to be self aware. Um, oh man, the hype train has officially left the station again, right? It's and I know like this was uh, if you were on social media at all last week, I the kind of the Hazelwood bridges. Uh, the media uh, media availability was kind of what got everyone pumped up, because um, right, I mean, what Bridges and and Hazelwood essentially said, I mean, this is and this is subtext a little bit, pretty much said, yeah, we're we're here, we're really good, and college football has no idea what they're about to see. I mean, that's that's essentially kind of what 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 their thesis statement was. Yeah, I mean, they're very confident. I mean, Trajan Bridges, the the most interesting thing to me from his availability was that he's excited to practice like he's just generally excited to go to practice which that's pretty rare in football <laughs> football practice is not fun anyone's ever played it before that doesn't have to play college I mean even in high school heck even probably middle school if you have any sort of experience playing football you know that football practice is is not fun it's it's not what you look forward to you look forward to the game so whether you're in high school you look forward to Friday night if you're in college I'm sure you look forward to Saturday and obviously, I think what was it Ray Lewis? I think had the, the famous quote of like something on the lines of uh, "They don't have to pay me for Sunday; they they pay me th- for Monday through Saturday because Sunday can be free because playing the games is so." Was that Ray Lewis? Uh, I'm not sound, sure. Sound like? I'm not sure. Okay. But I you're I I I think you're you're touching on an interesting point here, and I I want to make a point kind of in uh in relation to that. Football practice does suck. I've played. I played football too. It's it, it sucks to be physical when there's not a game on the line or anything like that. It's hard. I mean, it's hard on your body and everything like that. But isn't there something to be said about the process? And don't the best don't the best ever aren't they in love with the process? Like for instance, it's not like for Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I I'm sure they love winning and I'm sure they love the game. I'm sure they love playing in the games. But you don't get to where they're at without enjoying the work you, you just you just can't um and so like i mean i i know where you're coming from but if somebody says that they they want to practice and they're enthusiastic about practicing that's a big deal that's a big deal um because and, and foot like football a lot of the times it, it's just it's just work that's why practice sucks it's hard work it's hard on your body and not everybody is is game for that and if if uh, if Trajan Bridges is coming out saying that like this this is what he wants to do, in fact, I've heard I've heard coaches kind of echo this throughout me- media availability as well. That guys are are enthused about being out there, and I think it's because they understand that the ultimate goal of the program 
is realistically in sight. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure kind of where, where you are, or, but I, I, I kind of go back because we're, we're sort of talking about sports psychology at this point now. So I, I go back to the last year I played really competitive sports, which would have been my senior year of high school. Um, I played baseball and we, we had a really good team going into my senior year. We had a lot of talent and there it was it was legit it was legitimate in our minds a legitimate possibility that we could go to the state tournament maybe win state because we had a lot of guys who had a lot of success growing up and through those ages i loved the work that season i loved it any anything that i could do with my team uh, uh in in the hopes of getting better i would jump on that thing right away and so this is just good and i and i know like this is spring football and we've a lot of the times here when we listen to these guys talk, we're, we're trying to be psychologists here and we're trying to maybe look for subtext, trying to see where their mind is at uh, because we've, we've said it numerous times. If they're going to win a national championship, it's going to be right now. It's, it's going to be now, what they do between now and September 4th. So again, like we're, we're going to continue the theme that we've, that we've had throughout spring practice on this show. They're saying the right things. They get it. They understand the ultimate goal and everything they're saying right now and all the evidence is suggesting that they are putting in the work. They get it and they understand. And as a fan, all I can do is just sit on the side and just get giddy, right? Because, I mean, that's, that's yeah. what you want to hear. This is, this is an opportunity. And they, they keep telling us that they're, they're putting in the work in hopes that a special year is coming. Um, and, of course, you know, as a fan, I get really excited hearing that. No, you, you make a good point about practice in, in general. And I... I think it's definitely newsworthy when somebody in college football, a kid, I mean, because they're still technically kids in a way, is super excited for practice because it's easy for me, it's easy for you to think back to when we were practicing and going through this stuff when we were in high school and, and even maybe early college, depending on what you did, and kind of remember what it was like in that spot. And I remember that the, when you think about practice, you think about con, uh, conditioning, you think about stretching and warming up and all the monotonous things that are just uh it's hot a lot of the times and this in the the fall two a days sometimes in high school like you think of that stuff that's the stuff that's like the worst but i'd like to think though if i played at a high level like oklahoma uh played and, and you know we, we played high level high school ball and stuff like that too but the, the fun parts about practice was the game prep and actually preparing for the other team hopefully they are enjoying that and it sounds like Trajan Bridges is enjoying all of that, all the aspects. But yeah, you, if everybody is enjoying the parts of practice where you get better, you work together, and you all come together and you build the competition, you build the camaraderie, then that's obviously a good thing. And it definitely is worth mentioning when somebody is having a good time practicing. And also, I, and, and I'm not sure if anyone listening to this can correct me as well. In 2021, I, I, I just I don't think football practice is, is as hard as it was 20 years ago. I think there's there's definitely been sort of a cultural shift in that where there's just not as much contact in practice anymore. Like hell in the NFL, they're they like they've they've gotten rid of tons of contact from practices like during OTAs, during um, during fall camp, all that stuff. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me, especially in spring, if they're not going super full contact. Although I mean, I if you go and look at the pictures that they've been releasing pretty much every day from practice, I see quite a bit of full pads. Yeah, no, it looks like they're going at it uh, decently here in the spring. But uh, but anyways, we started this whole thing on Jaden Hazelwood soundbite, 
And a big part of that soundbite was him acknowledging, yeah, we, as a receiver group, we dropped a lot of touchdowns last year. And we all talked about it throughout the season. And unfortunately, the, a big culprit was Theo Weiss. And I mean, we, I think we, we lost count. I mean, it was, I think he, he, he dropped seven. more touchdowns. Okay, yeah, I mean, I, you could say any, you, you could tell me it was all, actually, no, I, I know for, one, for sure one was Obiolo from the Iowa State game. That was, uh, that was bad. But uh, it was mostly Theo Weiss, and that sucks for him, and, and he knows it. But I like that they acknowledged it. I like that he mentioned it. And just to back it up, uh, Pro Football Focus, before the bowl game, before the Florida game, they did put out a, uh, a tweet with the most dropped end zone passes. The quarterbacks in the nation has the most dropped end zone passes. And Spencer Rattler led the nation with nine. So I think that's where probably Jaden was getting his number from. Was from that, and that's not even counting the, uh, the Cotton Bowl. And I, I don't recall any drop touchdowns in that game but I do recall a couple plays where I thought Oklahoma still should have had catches where they didn't in that game uh one I think Theo Weiss kind of dropped a deep pass down the middle of the field that he probably should have caught and then I want to say Charleston Rambo might have had one early in the game where he well if you throw Rambo out there it's probably a pretty good guess uh and I mean we remember Rambo I think he started it last year with that drop against uh Missouri State on that really nice throw from, I think that was the one incompletion from Spencer Rattler in that game. Uh, so anyways, that it's nice. Like you mentioned the awareness, they know it. Uh, that I'm sure was a big part of Lincoln Riley's challenge to them. Uh, they know all about it. So this wide receiver group is, is hungry. I'm pretty fired up. Um, the wide receiver group is going to look a lot different in 2021 than it did in 2020 as well. You know, it's, in terms of like regular pass catchers on the offense last year, the only guys from last year they were going to see in 2021 are are Weiss, Stogner, and Stoops, right? And it's it's going to be new blood pretty much throughout. Unless is there someone I'm missing there? Oh, Mems, Wait, <laughs> Mem, yeah. Mems, just the just the just the best receiver last year. Yeah, oh, that's silly. Oh my gosh, what do you, like? I'm. <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> if? Can you imagine if Hazelwood and Bridges are just are just. Uh, completely as advertised and like as they say they, they really are just dogs like adding marvin Mims to that and and hopefully a you know a healthy austin stogner like the ceiling on this offense is is unimaginably high it's you know it's i i think we do need to take into account that there were times last season where the offense did stall at times and they they weren't perfect and you know, it, it, it probably was OU's worst offense, quote unquote, since 2015. Now, all of these offenses in between all top five offenses in the country. So let's let's you know, there's a there's a relative nature to that. But there is there there's there's a lot of room to improve still. And I think we're going to see it. We're going to see a lot of new blood guys who are really going to who, who are who are going to come in and guys who are hungry. Bridges and Hazelwood haven't been playing the last two years because of outside circumstances. Has nothing to do with the football field. Uh, yeah, I'd take last year's offense over 2019's offense. Uh, if I had to pick between those two, I, I would take 2020 over 2019. Um, now, if we're talking 2019 for like the first six weeks, okay, then yeah, I'd probably take that. But in, in overall, no, I, I, I'll take 2020. I disagree with I'm you. Taking, um, I thought the... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe in the last, the, the second half of 2019. I just, you know, th there was, at no point was OU's running game as good in 2020 as it was at any point in 2019. And I just, there's parts of me that think 
that there's that, that 2019 offense wouldn't have lost a game last year. They they would have been well, able that, to grind games down with the run game. Um, at no point was Oklahoma's passing offense in 2019 anywhere close to the 2020. Yeah, but they had C.D. Lamb. They had C.D. Lamb. Um, and you know, Jalen Hurts is was was a extremely effective runner for OU. Um, I like I you're right. Like the, the the ceiling on the passing game in 2020 was higher, but there were also I mean. You know, it was Mims and and Weiss who dropped a lot of touchdown passes, and Drake Stoops and Theo Howard and Charleston Rambo. I mean, guys who are just kind of okay, right? Outside of Mims, and we're we're still kind of trying to figure out on Weiss. Um, I don't know. I thought you know, I, I thought I thought 2019's offense was was a smidge better, and I think 2020's defense was significantly better than 2019's. All right, we'll agree agree to disagree on that one. Uh, more from the wide receiver and more from Jaden Hazelwood's availability that stood out to me is I'm still going through my, uh, my list of things that interested me or piqued my interest over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Hazelwood was asked about some of the young wide receivers that are in his group and some of them that are playing you know, pretty well in spring practice, and his first immediate answer was Mario. He's looking really good, end quote. So Mario Williams is who he's referencing, obviously, and so, and that was it. He didn't mention anybody else. He just said Mario. So here's my question to you, Grant. Now, we were all obviously super excited about Hazelwood, Weiss, Bridges, the three five stars, and they were all early enrollees in 2019. They were here. We were all excited about it. We know, um, you know Jalen Hurts was here, but we knew CeeDee Lamb was also here. It was like, wow, I mean, this wide receiver group could be amazing. But then the results that year were, you know, Jaden Hazelwood was the most effective, but he didn't play all that much. Trajan Bridges barely played at all. Uh, Theo Weiss had the one big moment against Baylor uh, when C.D. Lamb didn't play. So it, really, they, they didn't do a whole lot. It was mostly the C.D. Lamb story of 2019. And then obviously 2020 happens and Hazelwood can't play until the end. Bridges doesn't play. And then it's just basically Weiss. So it's just all been kind of a letdown. We all know the story. Going now into 2021, by the way, we could play a game called uh, let. <laughs> what could the game be called? Uh, Lee, does Lee really not know much about recruiting? Because obviously the answer is yes. Yeah, I had no idea that Mario Williams was a five-star player. No idea. Like apparently he's a five-star. Yeah, so they got a five-star receiver coming in. Uh, is is this? Could this actually be a situation where this five-star actually wows us his first year? Depends on what you mean by wow. Like, will he, will he wow us with a handful of really cool individual plays? Pro- like, almost certainly, I would guess. Um, is he, like, he going to be one of the top four or five pass catchers on the offense? I really doubt it. Um, just, just because I think you're going against history there with Lincoln. I mean, Marvin Mims was clearly the best receiver on the team last season, and he did not play anywhere near as many snaps as Theo Weiss and Charleston Rambo. Um, and I, I'm sure health ha- had a big part of that, you know, him being a true freshman, not having spring ball, et cetera, et cetera, played a big role in that too. Um, but still, you know, I, I think, yeah, I, I think we're going to see Mario Williams probably at times, and he's probably going to be really impressive at times. Um, and you know, from my extremely amateur recruiting prowess or whatever, uh, when I, when I watch his tape, he just, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Waddle. Uh, that's 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 kind of the vibe that I get from him a lot. Sort of smaller, but a guy who's really explosive. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. Like, it's not we know we know from Marvin Mims that you know coming in as a true freshman and being really good is not is not earth shatteringly weird. So, 
I don't, honestly, as long as as long as they score a ton of points and have a ton of yards, I don't give a rip who is who is catching the passes for the most part. Like I mean, it's um, I. This is a team though where I'm like I I look up and down like the different sort of pass catchers that they're gonna have. Man, I just hope they freaking bomb away next year. I I hope it's I know I know like everyone sort of likes the the run game and the fact that ever since Riley has been here, they've definitely ran it more than they've thrown it. I kind of want that to be flipped this upcoming year, man. I want them to just, to just ha- like, I just want them to throw bombs on everybody the entire game and then have run the ball every now and then give me full raid. baby. So your, your, your idea of, of for all this time, your idea that it's just, it's just really easy just to get up there. Like it's NFL blitz and just throw deep bombs all the time. Like it's something that all these other teams do blows my mind because that's that's not a thing that all these teams do i I, you can't just throw a bunch of deep ball like grant what if there's a a safety over the top and you're throwing in a double coverage over and over and over again you think you think every single time that mario williams is going to just run straight by a guy and be wide open by like six or seven strides no no they (laughs) like they threw a lot of bombs in 2017 and 2018 i mean they throw i i guess i mean i think they throw a lot of bombs now i don't i don't I'm I'm saying they, they just they run the offense. I'm what I'm saying is I'm hope I'm hoping they throw a lot and they throw down the field a lot. That's that's what I, I that's what I'm hoping. But of course, you know, I mean, if if Eric Gray is amazing, it's you know you should probably give him the I mean, ball I every think, now and then too. Yeah, maybe have him touch it at least at least five times, maybe five or ten times a game at least. I don't know. I I think I think Spencer Rattler showed us last year. That he he has no problem chucking it down the field he likes taking shots yeah i guess like maybe maybe throwing bombs is not is not the best way to describe it but i certainly want them to chuck that freaking pigskin <laughs> like <laughs> at least right i mean that's what lsu did a couple years ago they definitely threw it more than they ran it wasn't a it wasn't like a massive difference but lsu man they were relentless they just kept hucking it and that's kind of if and if ou's passing game is that good that's what i hope they do just freaking chuck that pigskin man it's actually interesting. I kind of want to look up the stats from LSU 2019 to see what their run pass ratio was. I can look that up. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll look that up as we move on to the next part of the rundown. Uh, let's see. I didn't have anything else offensive. So before we transition to defense, I guess I'll, I'll throw it over to you in case there's anything that's caught your eye over the last couple of weeks about the offense that we haven't already touched on. I was, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago when we recorded, there was, it wasn't, 100% confirmed that Wanye Morris was even practicing. Um, it appears that's that's changed. I've, I've seen him in pretty much all of the pictures in the last two weeks or so in practice. Um, so I was I, I was getting sort of ready to say, eh, I'm not sure if Wanye Morris is going to be a thing this year. Uh, but uh, he's, he's at practice now. So and that's that's all just that's all speculation on my part of whether or not he would be a thing. You know, I just it's um. So there was that, and then I'm trying to think if anything else has really happened. Who else talked? There was I Beatenbow. I I feel like has talked since then. Yeah, Beatenbow talked. Um, I think he talked a while ago. I mean, Kennedy Brooks also talked the, the same day that Eric Gray did. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he was he he was talking up Eric Gray as well. Um, but yeah, the, and then you know going back to the Mario Williams bit. That's he's. That's been consistent throughout all of spring practice. He's been he's being mentioned consistently as a guy who is really standing out. Um, so yeah, I mean we 
in that regard, we should definitely listen to them because they're, they're telling us that Mario Williams is going to be a guy who they're going to have trouble keeping off the field. Um, and that's, that's great. That's a good thing. I just, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to dip my entire, I'm, I'm dipping my toes in right now, not really to jump full, you know, full into the, to the pool there. See, I, I think Mario Williams qualifies as somebody where the hype train has taken off for me. <laughs> he just, like, everybody, every time he comes up or is mentioned, it's like, that's the guy. That's the guy that's brought up of, of the young players, like Mario, Mario. Hey, here's the it's thing like, that just... Okay, wow. Here's the thing that just popped into my mind. As long as we're on the subject of, of whether or not players are going to be a thing in the upcoming season. Because I really haven't seen this really talked about. Are we positive that Austin Stogner is okay and is going to be able to contribute at the level that we expect that he may be able to. Like, I, I haven't seen a lot of, a lot of talk about that. Cause I know, I know Jason Kersey just, just did a really long story in the athletic about, uh, he had a staff infection near the end of the season. That's what kept him out uh, for so long. And, uh, if, and, and I only read tidbits of that story. I don't have a full athletic membership anymore. Uh, but it sounded like it was pretty serious. It could have been serious if they didn't take pretty pretty radical action on it. And um, I guess I just I, I I don't know what to do with that. You know, we Austin Sogner is is, a, is kind of a big burly guy out there. Sometimes looks a little awkward with his movements. Is he a guy who is just he's just too big for his body? And I know that sounds weird, but like I don't know. Like are we are we at the point where can we question whether or not Austin Stogner is going to be reliable next year? Oh, you can. Here's the, the most recent update we have on Stogner, and it's from, uh, I read you earlier, a Lincoln Riley quote about, about Mikey Henderson from April 2nd. And so this was from April 2nd as well. And so, yeah, I mean, he said Stogner has been doing well. He's been limited, though, a little limited throughout spring. He says it's been a slow return for him. Uh, he's got some natural ups and downs that you'll have after that kind of injury. He says that don't have him full go for every single practice. Some days he feels really good. And some days he's just not right. Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis have taken the majority of reps. So that's probably why we haven't heard much about it, because he's not fully practicing this spring. And I mean, sure, yeah, I, I mean, you can question, you know, how well he's going to be as far as health goes by the fall. That's fine. Uh, at this point, though, I, I mean, that's, that's straight um, conjecture and just... Um, Another word that I can't think of right now. You're right. All yeah. of this, all of this right now would be speculation. I just, I, I wanted speculation. To kind of, that's the right word. Yeah, I wanted to put it on the record. I just wanted to put it on the record that there's, there's parts of me that's kind of like, eh, are we, are we sure that we can count on Stogner? Um, and like that's not, that's not me calling the guy out at all. I mean, that's uh, for all, like his, his health scare that he had was clearly scary. And so you know, I'm just, and when I say that. I don't really think OU is lacking in options to replace that production. Um, you got guys that you got Drake Stoops in the slot. You got other guys like Mario Williams who can also take up that role as well. Um, and then I, Braden Willis may be the most underrated player on the team besides Jeremiah Hall at this point as well. I, I think he's a guy who could, who could probably replace a lot of Stogner's production as well. Um, I don't know. I just I, I think that's something to keep an eye on as we kind of transition more to to the summer, and let's let's kind of keep our ears to the grindstone there and see if you know. Let's let's make sure that he's okay and he's healthy. All right, let's switch over to the defense now. And I teased this a little bit ago when you brought up how 
DeMarco Murray was just saying positive things about Mikey Henderson and Eric Gray. And so now we got Brian Odom, who talked last week about the linebackers. And he straight up listed off all nine guys in his linebacker room. And so I'm going to go over the order in which he, he named off the guys. And then we can talk about whether or not we should look into this at all as far as the order with which he named these players. Oh, I like this game. This is good. Uh, yeah, okay. This, this definitely has, <laughs> has potential here. Because I know that's something that you always kind of look out for a lot of the time. And uh, okay, well now I got now I got to figure out where I put my my uh, log. Hold on, all right. Um, where are you, log? Do do do. Defense. What did he talk? He talked last week. Aha! There it is. Okay. So here we go. He was asked about the talent in that linebacker room, and he you know, he did the, the typical coach answers. That, you know, I mean, they got they got as much talent as they're willing to present. You know, as much talent as they're basically willing to work for, you know, if, if they show up, just not really care. And they're just going to be like every other kind of average blah, blah, blah. So like classic coach answer. But then Brian Odom goes into every single player in his room and he kind of gave a little bit of a description of all of them. It was it was great. I, I mean, Brian Odom is a great, great soundbite. I mean, he he knows so much about all of his players. So here's the order in which he went through. First name you mentioned, Brian Asamoah. And I'll, I'll try to throw in a couple of notes of what he said about each guy. So he said, Brian Asamoah, athlete, uh, elite athleticism, elite speed, elite punch with his hands, great footwork, uh, needs to be a more consistent tackler. And I believe he will be. All right. So tackling the issue with Asamoah, other than that, sounds like Brian Odom thinks he's uh, the next, like, I'm blanking on a good linebacker. Sorry. Levante uh, David is the first one that, that popped into sure. my mind. I don't know. Actually, yeah, next, next Brian Urlacher because Brian Odom looks almost exactly like Brian Urlacher. How about that? Uh, they, they look pretty much the same. So Brian Osimo was the first guy. Next guy brought up was David Agwebu. Uh I didn't write down what he said about Agwebu, but he, he had talked about Agwebu earlier in the, the presser. Uh, the third person he mentioned was Deshaun White. And actually, there was a moment in which he talked about Deshaun White, and he said, where is it, where is it, where is it? Deshaun White, through seven practices is playing better than he's ever played. It's a different Deshaun White. So for whatever reason, 2021 is bringing out the best in Deshaun White. I mean, I would hope so. I'd hope so. He's this. He's going to be his fourth year in the program, right? Coming up here, he's he should be. He should be 18, better. 18, 19, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Deshaun White was number three. Number four might be the more interesting part where we're like, oh, oh, interesting. Interesting. Shane Witter was the fourth guy he mentioned. And I can go into details later about what he said about Witter because he was asked about Witter directly earlier in the, in the uh, press conference. And we can talk about that in a moment. Fifth guy was Jamal Morris. He said, Morris has done a good job playing Mike and Will. He's smart. And that's all I wrote down. <laughs> uh, the next guy is Caleb Kelly. Next person, Brian Mead. Mead is Mr. Consistency. He's dependable, good tackler. The next guy is Jake McCoy. And then the final person he mentioned was Joseph Wete, who uh, they just moved over there in the spring, apparently. He says he's got a lot of athleticism, but it sounds like Wete is a, uh, according to Brian Odom, he said, quote, this is a two to three year decision that he made. So 
do you care to read it all into that list or the the because I I kind of do <laughs> I I kind of read into it I I think what he did there I think he basically went down the line of who he thinks is his best guys to probably his I don't want to say worse because that's mean but like maybe the guys that he doesn't expect right now to contribute that much and Shane Witter being up at four is notable to me I think that's whatever I think that's what everyone is hoping for right um, and I think if you pulled any OU fan they're just like yes please please a scholarship player emerge so that Brian Mead isn't in there anymore. And that's not like, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I understand Brian Mead. He clearly knows the defense really well. He clearly knows his fits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At Oklahoma, you should have, you should have a scholarship player as, as a backup somewhere. So um, yeah, I think we're, I, I think everyone is hoping that the, the top four that he mentioned are the four linebackers that we see the most. Um, I mentioned to you before we got on the show, I'm just I'm just not sure that Caleb Kelly is going to be a thing this year. Um, if he is, awesome. That's great. Clearly a great dude, great ambassador for the program. It's, it'd be a wonderful story if he comes out and he plays really well this year and has a good season. I'm just you know I'm I'm not I'm I'm not making any bets basically. Um, I think the most interesting thing there, uh, the player that he mentions there is Jamal Morris as, as the fifth person that he mentions. So if your theory is right, and he just he essentially went through the five guys or the the nine guys he he, he ranked from ready to play to not, the Jamal Morris one I think is definitely the most eye opening to me. Um, and of course, it's it's April. That doesn't mean that's still going to be the case in September. Um, but Jamal Morris is a guy. I think he's a he's a 2018 class guy. So this is also his fourth year on campus. He started as a safety, and then he, he moved a linebacker. I think in 2019, and. Uh, Man, if he's if he's starting to kind of if the light is sort of starting to come on there, that's that's great because Jamal Morris is. I mean, what what has TCU just done for years? They've turned safeties into linebackers, um, and I think maybe sort of the same principle is at play here. Um, and Jamal Morris honestly was a guy I'd sort of written off as a guy like he's you know in my mind as a guy clearly probably not not really going to ever be a big contributor here at OU. Uh, but if man, he he wouldn't be the first guy that puts it all together after being on campus, you know, for three or four years. We just saw, we just saw sort of that happen last year with Isaiah Thomas coming out of nowhere and being great, being great. Um, so hopefully that's something happening here. But then again, of course he was, you know, the fifth guy out of nine that he mentioned. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, I think those top four guys, those are the guys that we're going to see the most this upcoming year. And I, I think, I think OU fans have every right to be excited about that. This is the most talent they've had at linebacker in I don't even know. Like, I mean, it's it's probably the most talent they've had in, the li- in at linebacker since the two thousands. So yeah, and another reason why I kind of think those you know one through nine that ranking is significant is obviously you know he had Osamo and Ogwebu one two, and we all agree and assume that they're in the top two, and then you got White and then Witter. Talking about Witter earlier in his press conference, he said that his best attribute is his speed. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. That's what Brian Odom, like, because a linebacker, and Deshaun White later backed it up and said that he's one of the fastest guys on the field. He said that every time Witter's on the field, Deshaun White would put money down that he's one of the top two fastest guys on the field, no matter what. Like, what? This, I, I mean, we haven't really seen that yet because he hasn't played enough snaps, but also Brian Odom said that He's excited about Shane Witter and his future. He's going to be a major player this year. So, I mean, his position coach told me, told us that he's 
he's going to be a major player. Yeah, I mean, we saw last year. If you're if you're one of the top four linebackers, you're going to play a lot. You know, Brian Mead played a lot last year. Um, Shane Witter, I played played a decent amount last year. I mean, probably more so he than mostly most played in the freshmen. Kansas game. Yeah, you're right. It was mostly the Kansas game. Um, and then special teams. But yeah, that whole that whole Shane Witter being extremely fast, like one of the fastest guys on the team, that's been like the message board fodder over the last two weeks. Been kind of the guys like, eh, is this hyperbolic? Is this crazy? Because if it's not crazy, and he is one of the fastest guys on the team. Like that's that's something, right? Like it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's a really yeah, big deal. It is. But also, I mean, it doesn't kind of where we are in in football these days. Just kind of like the pace of the game and and the defense has just has gotten smaller. Defenses have gotten smaller over the course, you know, over the last decade or two. And it doesn't like we're at the point where it doesn't like I'm surprised that I heard that. But it wouldn't if somebody told me that a linebacker was like the fastest player on the team or the fastest player on the defense, that wouldn't shock me anymore. Like I wouldn't be like, oh my God, that's just there that's impossible. I mean, he he may be really fast, but it, that may not translate onto the field. I, I mean, I definitely didn't see that level of speed last season, not to say that he was slow, he wasn't. Um, but you know, that's this is multiple people saying this now, so I clearly he's fast. Okay, if if someone told me that a linebacker was the fastest player on the team, that would shock the heck. That's crazy. I mean, the fastest guy on the team should be either a wide receiver or a defensive back or maybe a running back, <laughs> not a linebacker. I, mean, I, I agree is, with you. I'm just saying it wouldn't like. I'm trying to think of a really good line. Who's who are the good linebackers now in the NFL? I don't even know. <laughs> I do. um, okay, let me start with obviously the best one, Kenneth Murray. Uh, number yeah, two. Actually, definitely. I, think, I, I guess Kenneth Murray. I guess Murray led the Chargers in tackles last year. I think I he led. Tweet. He led OU in tackles in 2017 and 2018. Also, <laughs> I mean he he's he he's he gets everywhere, man. He's all around the ball. I don't know. I mean, I when it comes to this is bad. When it comes to defensive players in the NFL, I, admittedly, I, apparently I don't know that much about them. I, like the elite guys. I mean, you have your Aaron Donalds. Everyone knows about that. But when it comes to the linebacker room, uh, ask me like 15 years ago, and I probably was more in tune with uh, all the best guys. Yeah, I don't know. Like in terms of means. in terms of like you know a linebacker that plays in the middle of the field and isn't like kind of that jack role or kind of like the three four edge rusher. Because I think like the the probably the best player that has the LB next to his name is right now is probably TJ Watt is who I would throw out there. But he's hmm, but he's okay. also an edge guy. So yeah, I don't. Roquan Smith is the only middle linebacker that I know. Oh, Darius Leonard for the Colts is is really fast. Um, yeah. I don't know who's who else is. Yeah, good? I mean, I guess. Yeah, Levante guess David Luke is still Keekly good. Was, That's why I brought him up. Yeah, I guess Luke Keekley was there, but did did he retire? He retired. I, did I make yeah, he retired. Up? Yeah. Uh, Bobby Wagner is he still play? I, I don't. He he is, but he's he's know. old. I mean, he's been in the league for over ten years now. Yeah. I think. So, I mean, there's a bunch of young guys that we just don't know that were... But, yeah, I mean, Roquan's good. I mean, he's a good player he, for the Bears. So, yeah, I guess he counts. Uh, but, um, anyways, who cares? Uh, all right, so that's the linebacker talk as far as from Brian Odom. I had one other defensive thing I wanted to hit on, and now i got to get my sound, my, 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 my phone sound, my sound phone out to get it. Here we go. Uh, we mentioned Deshaun White. So, yeah, Deshaun White backed up the whole Shane Witter thing, too. Uh, so, I mean, it's not just Brian Odom saying it. So apparently his teammates are saying it are seeing it as well. Well, we talked about uh, this. This whole show started with Eric Gray. You mentioned the Eric Gray hype train is just out of control. 
Uh, I mentioned a little bit ago that the Mario Williams hype train to me is kind of getting out of control because all of a sudden now he's being talked up. But finally, I think that to bring this full circle, the hype train is just fully out of control. And I guess this kind of goes along with the Mario Williams thing. This entire freshman class, this entire incoming enrollee class is like, are these the best football players that have ever played the game of football? Because it's getting ridiculous. And just listen to this sound from Deshaun White, who is a veteran player and has seen a lot of incoming freshman classes, and he's obviously been a part of one of those classes as well. I will honestly say that I think this class came in like light years ahead of where our class was. Um, they're just so locked in. They're so mature, which is like rare, real, really rare to see from a, from a group of freshmen. Um, I think the sky's the limit for that group, you know. I don't think people realize how impressive it is for a freshman to come to college and have so many distractions and but be like, like, this is my main thing, and I'm going to keep this the main thing. I'm going to focus on this. And I think that that's, like, that's a common theme across the board with all of our freshmen. Like, I don't think there's one where it's like he might be, like, no, I think they're all locked in. They all want to help produce, like, immediately, and I think that um, a lot of those guys will. They will play, so. I, I mean, so this came after – all this hype, talking up, uh, you know, we, we heard Alex Grinch weeks ago talk about how this freshman group, he's putting all these high expectations on because he wants to challenge them. And he said, eh, it's kind of dumb, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, I, I just, you hear all this positive stuff about Mario Williams and uh, Clayton Smith and, I mean, all, Ethan Downs. I mean, everything sounds great. Too good to be true. Latrell McCutcheon. You know, everything sounds way too good to be true. Even, uh, you know, Jordan Mukes, who we were kind of like, I don't know if this is this guy good. You know? And then you got Deshaun White talking about how rare it is for all of these, like all of these guys. They're all super mature. And it's like, what is going on here? I, I mean, is this just blowing smoke? Are we all going to be super disappointed? Or is this something that's real? And the, the stage is being set for a truly special team. <laughs> In 2021, I, I mean, this is crazy to me. The hope is that they is that they caught lightning in a bottle with this class, right? I mean, that that wouldn't be unprecedented. Um, if Lee, I'm, I'm not sure, like you're not a recruiting guy at all, but go look at OU's 2006 class. Like that, that is one where they caught lightning in a bottle for sure. That class had class had Demarco Murray, Sam Bradford, Jermaine Gresham, Gerald McCoy, Trent Williams. Yeah, I mean. All pros, all pros, up and down, Heisman Trophy winner. Um, and sometimes, yeah, you just, sometimes it's just, it all works out and that you just signed all the right guys. And the crazy thing is, Lee, not all of them are on campus yet. There's there's still some more to come, too. They'll, they'll get there in the summer. And I know there's a lot of, um, you know, if, if you listen to the Sooner Scoop pod, Josh McQuistion over there is is really high on Danny Stutzman. And um, said, I'm not, not an expert. Like I said, I, I don't know a ton about recruiting. But again, if you want to see a go look at high school tape of a guy just absolutely dominating everyone around him, that's Danny Stutzman as well. Uh, he also has a really he, he just he just has a he has a name that just screams really good linebacker. Does he not? He really does. I guess. I mean, hard hitting analysis uh, here on West of Everest. Yeah, and apparently there's another corner that's currently playing uh harman spring football uh yeah damon uh, damon it's D damon? yeah it's damon or is it demand it da might be demand i i think it's damon because that's that's how jason uh Kersey said it in the to roy manning today 
And I mean, this guy, I mean, he's tall, rangy, like six one, you know, one ninety. So he's your protest. I mean, the guy that you know we've been talking about, Oklahoma was wanting to try to recruit more on the outside. So you got another tall, another tall corner coming in um, in the summertime. But yeah, we're not even seeing these guys yet. So I mean, who knows? Maybe these guys that haven't been on campus will be able to contribute as well. So yeah, I'm just this is like what I. Here we go. So all of this hype. Where are my notes? Here we are. Like it, speaking hearing more about Deshaun White from Deshaun White, and this has kind of been hinted at a couple of times throughout, and Alex Grinch brought it up too right away, and I'm not sure if this is more just defense and not necessarily offense because it really hasn't needed to be offense because the offense has been fine uh, since Lincoln Riley's been there. The offense has been the offense. The defense has been the problem. But more, it's, it's becoming more and more clear that the depth and the talent now on this roster, in this program, is making it to where just because you're a guy that played a bunch of snaps before or you've been on campus a long time, that doesn't necessarily mean or guarantee that you're going to be playing moving forward. Like we keep, we keep hearing about how in the past guys would kind of play by default. They just play by default. And like I took that as that means there's just nobody else here that's challenging them. There's nobody else good enough to take their job. So by default, they're playing. And so like Deshaun White, for instance, essentially explained all of this today. And, you know, based on what we know about Alex Grinch, he does play a lot of players. He gives players a shot. He gives them snaps to see what they can do. So what I'm trying to say is I definitely believe, like it's not just a talking point. I actually believe that a player like Deshaun White actually thinks and knows that he's got to be better. He's got to be better than everybody else in order to keep playing on Saturdays. Like he, he could get his job taken because there actually is talent. And I don't think that's just – a talking point anymore because I it does kind of seem like there is enough talent on this roster for there to be legitimate competition to where it doesn't matter who you are the best player will play and again we know Alex Grinch he plays whoever the best players are and he gives gives each player a chance to prove it on the field so I don't know if you've kind of noticed that too when you the the availabilities you've listened to well, and of all, course I have that seems like something that seems like the that that seems like the biggest difference between now and last year or two years ago. Um, there were still lots of questions up and down the depth chart a couple of years ago, and now like you said we we did this a we did this a couple of weeks ago where we looked up and down like oh that guy's going to play on the defensive line that guy's yeah, going to play, yeah. and we we can do it all day long. It's like geez man, like I didn't expect Jordan Mukes to I thought he was going to be a project, but holy crap he looks physically ready to play uh, you know as a freshman, you know I it's. Um, the one thing you haven't really mentioned is um, um, you, you mentioned Latrell McCutcheon a little bit, uh, but talking about guys you know whose hype train has left the station, Latrell McCutcheon, I would say, is, has been consistently the most referenced freshman in these media availabilities. Um, there's, I, these, guys are, these guys are ready to play, it sounds like, or at least they're, they're getting to the point where they will be ready to play in September. And like I said, you, I, I think you do bring up a good point, questioning whether or not this is all just too good to be true whether or not they're just blowing smoke um but of course the hope is like i said they caught lightning in a bottle and this really is just a special class it would not be unprecedented in oklahoma history it, it wouldn't be um and sometimes just really special classes come along um and you're it just it 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 happens once every 15 years and here we are we're 15 years later <laughs> i mean maybe like that could be it i mean i mean i know that's that's silly but um Jeez, man, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of. It sounds like just a lot of really good players, and not not necessarily just good players, but a lot of really elite athletes 
Um, and I, I think especially down the depth chart and, you know, the second and third spots of the depth chart, that is what this program has been lacking since 2008, 2009. Um, so hopefully they're, they're back mm-hmm. to that point. So you just brought up McCutcheon a moment ago, and I don't think we touched on this yet. I think you and I, we talked about it before the show started off air, but, uh, McCutcheon, there's a reason maybe why McCutcheon is getting so much love and getting a lot of hype and getting a lot of reps and snaps and practice this spring is because we found out um, from Roy Manning earlier today talking about Woody Washington. Apparently, Woody Washington, according to Roy Manning, has been kind of nicked up and has not practiced a whole lot this spring. So one of the two corners that we've kind of assumed is going to be the starting a starting corner between Washington and DJ Graham. Woody Washington has not practiced a whole lot this spring. And I don't know how much he's practiced, but uh, Manning just said he's been kind of nicked up and he hasn't practiced a ton this spring. Will we see him in the spring game at this point? I guess I, I, I don't know. So something to keep an eye on. I don't know what his, his injury is or why he's been nicked up or if it happened. It might, maybe it happened when practice began or if this is an offseason thing. It may have happened when practice began because I don't recall Lincoln Riley mentioning him early on before practice started as a guy that was potentially limited. So, um, you know, he's out. Uh, or he's been kind of limited in practice obviously pat fields has not been practicing much so something to kind of keep an eye on something to pay attention to once the spring game gets here in uh you know a week and a half or so and we'll keep an eye out to see if woody washington is active for that game so we'll see i i I gotta think if you know if there's any sort of injury worries about any player they're not going to play in the spring game like i mean like i caleb kelly is very likely not going to play in the spring game just off the top of my head, I, I I feel like any guy who is is coming into that game maybe a little quote unquote nicked up, as Roy Manning said, is extremely unlikely to play in the game, and that that should be the case. I mean, if they're if they're not one hundred percent healthy, there's no like Jaden Hazelwood doesn't need to play in the spring game. Um, like really anybody anybody who is who has been nicked up at all, just just you know sit on the sidelines for this one. Uh, okay, so. I think that's about it. That's all I have on my list of things that have interested me about Oklahoma football in the last couple of weeks. Sounds like you don't have anything else <laughs> that uh, well, you want to talk about Oklahoma football. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe, I mean, I was going to something like until you mentioned McCutcheon there or until I mentioned McCutcheon there at the end. Yeah, that was I thought, you know, that was my biggest takeaway from from the most recent media availability was just how high Roy Manning was on on McCutcheon. Um, and who was it? Who was it in the secondary that that described him as an elite player? Uh, was it um, probably Jaden Davis? I it was Jaden. I haven't gotten through. Yep. I haven't Jayden gotten Davis. through all of Jaden Davis's uh, all of his interview. I wasn't able to watch his interview live today. I haven't been able to chance. I've I've gotten through about half of it. And uh, the best part about Jaden Davis I've heard so far is him talking about his bus, his best buddy Nick Benito. And apparently they go they go way back. Apparently. They used to go to middle school together. That's cool. Yeah, I like stuff like that. It warms my heart. Also, uh, I think Jaden didn't he say that um, Nick Benito is just like a college football fiend? Okay, yeah. So that was the best part about it that I've gotten through so far. He, <laughs> so he, he basically he was asked about Benito, and he knows him so well, and he says that like Benito to him, he wanted to come back to Oklahoma to get bigger, to get stronger, and to win a national championship. And he said, that's, that's the Nick I've known always all along, and I look up to him. And then he went on to say that the biggest difference kind of between the previous years and now this spring that he's noticed in Nick Benito is his leadership. He's become more of a leader. He said, you know, on the field, he's always been looking up moves on YouTube, 
and wanting to work it on the field. He said he's seen him practice a move on the field that he just looked up on YouTube. (laughs) And uh, to me, he looks like a pro. And then further, he went on to say that looking at YouTube is, is pretty standard, I guess, for a lot of these players. Maybe they try to find moves and stuff like that. But he said that Nick is obsessed with football, more so than the average college player. He lives and breathes football. Some people love football for what football does for them. But Nick Benito just straight up loves football, everything about it. And so that every time you hear stuff like that about a player as good as Nick Benito, especially, then that just kind of make you go, man, I like that. Yeah, that's great. Definitely. I think, yeah, you can't really go deeper than that. But it's just like, yeah, I do. I like that a lot. Please. More of that, please. Um, yeah, I, I just an, another just Nick Benito nugget. Like we, we, we all saw the massive jump that he made from 2019 to 2020 without a spring practice with a really weird fall, you know, fall camp over the summer. Um, how can you not be excited about the jump he could potentially make with a full off season? Um, Cause I mean, that's a guy who looked and he was a good player for OU in, in the, in the second half of 2019, but he, he turned into just a, a good, decent player for OU to a dominant player without a full off season with a really weird COVID summer. And I, I, you can just, the proof is in the pudding. He just looked like a completely different guy from 2019 to 2020. His body type looked different. I remember in the first game against Missouri state, I had to look up his number cause he didn't, he just didn't look like Nick Benito. Some like some it looked like he grew three inches and he became much more slender. And like, I, it was weird. Um, Maybe that was maybe that was the number change. Maybe that's it. it did it all? The number well, change did it all. Speaking of the number change, that reminds me, Missouri State. I, <laughs> I think I might have said this on the podcast after the game, but <laughs> I remember being up in the the crow's nest, looking down at the uh, warm ups and seeing number two, <laughs> and obviously C.D. Lamb was no longer on the team, but I it, like it didn't register with me for a second. And I thought. Did CD Lamb eat CD Lamb? What is going on? And like, oh wait, David Ogwebu changed numbers to number two because <laughs> he used to be like thirty-four, I think. And it's like, oh, <laughs> David Ogwebu is wearing CD Lamb's number, and like, holy, it's like that does not look like CD Lamb anymore. It looks like a, I don't know, like a center in football uniform. He's pretty crazy. That, that you go, was funny. you go uh, in 2019 at middle linebacker. You go from Kenneth Murray, who just, I mean. Of course, you can go back and listen to episodes. Man, that that guy just looked great in a college football uniform. Just so much better in a college uniform than he does in his Chargers uniform. Like it's not even freaking close. Well, he he evolved over the time because if you think back, remember his second year, 2018. He, early on in that season, he had that ridiculous like neck thing on his pads. Yeah. That was like okay. What is this like? Nineteen eighty three. I thought like, that kind of worked. Here, Kenneth Murray. I thought that kind of worked. <laughs> it made him look more scary. Oh, that's God, what he was yeah. going for. Absolutely. But yeah, of course you go from and Kenneth I think he Murray. Eventually, ditch that. Yeah, you go from Kenneth Murray in the middle, who is just I just yeah. Enough said about him. And then you go to David Igwebu, who literally looks like a defensive end playing middle linebacker, like a like a well built NFL defensive end playing linebacker in the middle. Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why you're not so high on him. That, that's that's probably why you think he looks so slow. It's because he's just so big. Well, I'm higher on Webu now than I used to be. I still think he's not as fast as he needs to be. And uh, by the way, I am rewatching 2020, 
And so far, I'm through three games, three and a half games, actually. And um, so the, that's the you know, two losses and then half the Texas game. And I, so far, like, Asamoah and White kind of look like they're kind of even. Like, hand, like, they're both like, yeah, they're both kind of the same level. Like, I don't really see a difference. Agwebu hadn't really done a whole lot yet. Uh, and obviously, I'm watching defensive backs a lot closer than linebackers. But since we had that debate last time about Asamoah and Agwebu and all that stuff, so I was just kind of like, okay, I need to watch more Asamoah and more Deshaun White. Uh, so I just wanted to get that update uh, there. And, and also through three and a half games, as I can pull up my notes real fast, um, as you might expect, that means I've gone through the Iowa State game, which was not good for anybody. That was, <laughs> that was a bad game all the way around for the defensive backs. And so through three games, there is only one, two three really really there's only two starters or like full-time contributors that have a, a plus rating in my rewatch rating and that's a they barely have a plus rating and that's dty and Jaden davis and Jaden davis hadn't played as much at this point as like you know trey brown and buki and pat fields uh but uh man pat fields had a had a really bad game against iowa state like a really bad game uh so did buki uh, DTY wasn't that good. Uh, Trey Brown had a couple of really costly plays. The the most ridiculous of which was uh, that third down play where Oklahoma got Iowa State off the field. Brock Purdy like fumbled the ball, like lost it, and for some reason Trey Brown was just grabbing and holding his guy away from the play for no reason, and committed a penalty and gave Iowa State a free first down. And literally the very next snap was that sixty yard slant touchdown pass where for some reason Oklahoma didn't have any safety help they were playing like man across the board or something without any sort of like like zero I don't know that was that had to have been a bust that somebody had to have supposed to be back playing well I'm assuming well that was an that was an RPO and I'm assuming whoever was supposed to be the deep safety probably got sucked up oh yeah that's actually that's probably what happened because I watched that replay yeah I guess I forgot it was an RPO uh yeah okay that's what happened and so I'm, it let it left uh, Jaden Davis on an island by himself and it was over. I'm more than happy to uh to leave games two and three completely in the rearview mirror because it doesn't matter. They won the Big Twelve. Who cares? Doesn't matter. They you know it's I they they got their second shot at Iowa State and they beat them and uh, they're gonna get they're gonna get another shot at Iowa State at home this year and I am. I, I know that game is not until November. We're like, I mean, straight up, we're seven and a half months from that game being played. I'm already so fired up for that game. So fired up. I want yeah, that. I just wanted to. I, I know, like, I, but yeah. I, I could really envision that being like a, like a 2008 Texas Tech type game where Iowa State comes in with, with a lot in front of them and they just get absolutely just boat raced. I know, like, this is, there's, there's, there's nothing that we can say now that's, you know that that's more of just a feeling and seems well, fun considering that Oklahoma Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley has not shown the ability whatsoever to blow out Iowa State yeah I'm there's yeah I don't see that happening at all right now I mean they I mean I, Iowa State uh Matt Campbell's either won straight up or covered against Lincoln Riley every single time they played so uh play th- better actually, did, wait actually did OU cover them in the Big 12 title game they might have covered that number I think they covered actually. yeah yeah. Okay. That that might have been the first time because it was actually it was the shortest number. It was like 
a touchdown. I mean, it was six or seven or something like that. Do you remember what the final score of that game was? I don't even remember what the final score of that no, game was. But. That's weird. I used to... Uh, <laughs> nope. I used to I used to know final scores quite a bit. I could always recall them, but now I just I don't I don't care as much. Just win. <laughs> uh, uh, six point spread. So they, 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 yeah, I don't know. They might have pushed, or actually, I would say still might have covered that. There's only it was twenty seven twenty one. All right. So the last thing football wise, I just want to hit on a straight up callback from probably forty five minutes ago. Uh, you mentioned the LSU offense about how they just threw it all, all around the ballpark, you know, and I said I'd look up their numbers. And, yeah, uh, you look at the <laughs> Joe Burrow attempted 527 passes that year in 2019, and between he and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who were their, their two biggest rushers, because, you know, don't, don't forget Joe Burrow was actually incredibly athletic and ran the ball quite a bit. Um, Joe Burrow had 115 rush attempts in 2019. I mean, that's – there's no way I would have guessed over 100 if somebody asked me. But uh, between he and Edward Seelair, they combined for about 330 attempts. So, yeah, Burrow, <laughs> I mean, I, I realize that there's other rushing attempts and stuff, but let's see. Eh, yeah, they definitely threw the ball more than they ran the ball in 2019. Probably by about, I'm going to guess, ballparking these numbers, by about 100 pass attempts. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. They, Chucked they did that pigskin, man. Chucking that pigskin. It's hard to stop. Uh, all right, Grant, so, all right, lastly, before we go, Porter Moser hired after our last podcast, and I just want to bring up that he was my, like, hey, it'd be cool if Oklahoma got this guy. This would be, how, how could they get this guy, though? He has no ties to Oklahoma. He's in Chicago. I mean, boom, Joe Cosiglione goes and gets him. I, I mean, crazy. You said, or you, I don't know if you said it on the podcast yet, but you think you might have a, a takeaway or an observation about the Porter Moser hiring that might be different than what other people have heard so far. So what is that? Well, I just, I, I just, I just kind of want to point something out. I just want to, so I, I like the hire. I'm not going to sit here and, and just, and crap on the hire. It's a good hire. I'm excited for it. Um, here, here's the deal that, that make, that gives me a little pause. Porter Moser was I let's he was he was the hottest commodity right basically on, on on the coaching market everyone wanted him he's you know he went to the final four a few years ago went back to the Sweet Sixteen again this year um right I and mean, so you would think that a bunch of really big time programs would want him you had Texas's job came open North Carolina's job came open um, Marquette's job is open um, the fact that OU got him makes me a little weary. Um, it, it makes, it makes me a little scared that he's not as highly thought of in the inner coaching circle. So maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just, I'm not given enough credit to, to, to how OU is viewed as a basketball program. Um, but I just, yeah, count me as someone who is a little suspicious that it was OU who got this guy who everybody wanted. Um, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Having that been said, having that been said. Loyola Chicago this season, if you follow the Ken Palm rankings, which I, I do, I think they're I think they're they're very valuable. That Loyola Chicago team this year would have been the best OU team since the 2002 Final Four team. So um, that that's it. I and and also you know he he's really only had two good seasons in his career uh, coaching essentially. So I you know I'm. It gives me just a little bit of pause 
that this was a guy who was who was kind of the hot commodity, almost kind of like Shaka Smart was, uh, like a decade or so ago. And I'm just, I'm a little suspicious that it was OU who got him and not like North Carolina or any of these other programs that frankly care more about basketball. Yeah, it's actually an interesting point. I hadn't heard anybody anybody bring that up. I think uh, I think there's some validity to your uh, skepticism. My rebuttal to it, based on what I've read and kind of uh, kind of what I've learned more about Porter Mo- Porter uh, P- Porter Porter Moser, is that he'd been at Loyal Chicago for ten years. It it was going to take something to get him out of there. I mean, he was comfortable. He liked it there a lot. He had built the program up from pretty much nothing. And who knows? Maybe other teams did come after him, and it just didn't vibe the same way, or they didn't have the same ideals in a basketball program that Porter Moser has. And Porter Moser kind of comes off to me as a similar person as like Alon Kruger who's going to do things the right way and it's not going to cheat and it's not is like all keeping things above board. And I mean, he said all this stuff and I mean, that's why he and Joe Casiglione got along and everything aligned. And also we don't know how much money he's getting paid. I'm sure we'll find out eventually. There's a good chance that Oklahoma Joe Casiglione offered him a lot of money, maybe a lot more than anybody else would, because what if we're at the point now where Joe Casiglione after 10 years of long Kruger and the program is more, you know, it's a healthy program now. He's, he's swinging for the fences. He's going for it. And he wanted to get the hottest guy that had the right ideals that he thinks can make this, this basketball program into a legitimate national title contender. And he thought that this is the guy I'm going to go for and I'm going to pay him big money. Uh, again, I, I'm sure we'll find out how much he gets paid at some point because I mean, we know how much Lincoln Riley gets paid. We know how much, um, I, think, I think it's all public knowledge at some point. But... That I guess that'd be my rebuttal to it, but your skepticism is, is kind of fair because yeah, I mean historically, he has he has a, a winning record overall. Um, he did get fired from his job at Drake, um, wasn't it? Illinois State. Oh, Illinois State. Illinois yeah. State, I believe, which he addressed in his opening press conference, and it's a it's a classic situation that you love that he obviously learned from it. He he got fired. He got an assistant job at St. Louis under Rick Majerus. And he's one of the greatest coaches ever. And he learned a lot from Rick Majerus. And then he got that job at Loyola from St. Louis. And so it's one of your situations where you, you learn a lot more from your failures in life. And we all understand that once you go through it, especially, and you live it. We all, I mean, I've been fired from jobs before. And it's, it's made me a better person. You, you fail in sports. You come back. If you, if you want it, you'll come back and you'll play better. I've been cut from teams before, and it made me want to work even harder. That's just a natural human thing, and I'm sure that's what happened when he got fired from Illinois State. And so you think, you hope he brings all of that stuff to Oklahoma. And it's, I read an article about him uh, that they wrote when Loyola made the Final Four a few years ago. And it just seems like he's one of those guys uh, that everybody likes. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that he wants all the, the admiration, all the success to go to other people. He just... It's not about him. It's about everybody else. And so it just it seems like he's another one of those people where you're just like, gosh, I thought I was a good guy. But did you see what this person does? You're like, crap, I'm actually a terrible person. This guy's way better than me. That's kind of my my initial thoughts about Porter Moser. And now we're going to find out if he can coach in the Big 12. Uh, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited to see this type of offense because 
it's an offense that is built around getting efficient, high-quality shots and also playing really, really good defense. I mean, they had the best defense statistically as far as points allowed per game in all of college basketball this past year. They gave up the fewest amount of points per game. And I Number one they in Ken Palm defense as well. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, like I, I remember before this tournament started, uh, they were, I think, what, ninth in Ken Palm rankings, a top 10 team in the Ken Palm, and they got like a, an eight seed yeah, in the tournament. It was, I, think? I think they were like seventh. I mean, it doesn't matter. They were, they were really good. So, I mean, yeah, they were kind of a trendy pick to, uh, I guess, you know, get to the Sweet 16 by people that love analytics, and here we are. They, they upset Illinois, and I was one of the idiots who had Illinois in the championship game, and that just screwed up my bracket big time. I wish I wouldn't have had them that far. That doesn't matter. But anyways, I'm excited for it, and it's, honestly, when I brought up Porter Moser on the podcast, it was just something that I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I, this guy this got his team to the Sweet 16. He's clearly a pretty darn good coach. Every time I watch this Loyola team play, which is not very much, but it's always in the tournament, they always just look really well coached, and you can tell he's getting a lot out of players that obviously aren't five-star guys. And, man, it'd be kind of interesting to see what this guy could do with more talent at Oklahoma, and, yep, here we are. So that's cool. And and he's already gotten – it sounds like Davion Harmon's going to come back. Uh, He told Sports Talk 1400 KREF last week that it sounds like Davian Harmon's going to come back. So, okay, that Harmon – I mean, I don't know why Harmon like, – Harmon's not going to get drafted. I, I don't know why he would uh, – unlikely to get drafted. I, I don't think he's a player that probably would get drafted in the NBA. So he could come back. I know he just got a recruit, a three-star recruit uh, committed to him. And now the news that, that broke today as we record this on Tuesday, and we'll see where this goes. Did you see that uh, uh, Washington from Kansas is now in the transfer portal? I did see that. I think is that his name? Is that yeah. his name? It, uh, it's Bryce Thompson. Thompson. Oh, you know, I was thinking. I was thinking of Bryce in Washington. <laughs> uh, no, Bryce Thompson, uh, the, f- the five star from Tulsa, is now in the portal. So he had a uh, huh. he did he did not have a good season at KU. Um, I remember looking at his numbers when OU played them in the the Big Twelve tournament. He's, he he did not have a good year for KU, but I mean, that doesn't mean he's a bad player. That's I mean I yes please please come to Norman. Um, but I got to think uh, it's we're at the point now where it's right, who's who's the head coach over at Oklahoma State now? Is it Mike Boynton? Mike Boynton. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, he's he's clearly kind of a special coach. Um, it's going to be in, in state guys or it's it's going to be a battle between OU and Oklahoma State. As long as Mike Boynton is there, um, and he got Cade Cunningham. I mean, it's, he's he's clearly a good recruiter, and so I, yeah. And obviously with Porter Moser, yeah, like I can one hundred percent acknowledge there's a lot of stuff to really like there for sure. Um, I just yeah, when you brought him up, I just like yeah, that's a pipe dream. Every everybody wants that guy. Oh, he's not going to get him. And so yeah, I just I'm little little suspicious that it was OU who got him because it makes me wonder. It's like eh, maybe this guy wasn't as coveted. So, um, but also, yeah, I mean, when I watch them play, it's kind of, I, they look sort of like the opposite of OU playing. Um, kind of one of my frustrations of the Kruger era is, is twofold. One, it, it seemed like most of their offense was basically, uh, you know, based on the pick and roll, uh, which isn't surprising seeing as that Kruger spent a lot of time in the NBA and he had players like Trey Young and Buddy Heald, et cetera. Um, and also just in, in Lon Kruger's, Lon Kruger's offense, just I just way too many two point jump shots. Uh like to the point where I mean to the point where it's obscene. And so like one of the things I really liked about watching Loyola Chicago is that 
it seemed like they had set plays with the intention of getting really good looks close to the basket. And I got to be honest with you, outside of kind of that little alley-oop play that they used to come out with, or they came out with a lot, you know, out of timeouts and stuff, oh, you didn't do that at all. It was pretty much all just hero ball the entire time. Um, And of course, anybody who's more, you know, more familiar with basketball, you can correct me. Uh, But you saw a whole lot of pick and roll, a whole lot of ISO from OU. And I just, I historically, unless you got Buddy Hield and Trey Young, you just don't really have good enough players to do that here. Um, maybe Porter Moser can change that. Maybe he can give them a little, a little bit more recruiting juice. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, but we'll see. Uh, if, if as as long as he, as long as he he brings here an offense that is that is based on getting good, efficient shots, then I'm happy. Like I, I just I just want to see like a coherent offensive philosophy. Um, that mostly has to do with getting layups or shooting threes. That's all they should be doing. Yeah, ironically, their offense is so efficient and really good. Yet that was their that was their downfall this year against Oregon State in the Sweet Sixteen. They could not buy a bucket. I mean, they missed so many shots in that game. I mean, defensively they were good. I mean, that was a low scoring game. But uh, you know, if if they're able to shoot, probably I mean, their normal field goal percentage is probably well over forty percent as a team. Uh, but they they were terrible shooting the ball in that game, and that that came back to bite them. So you kind of hope that. If Porter Moser gets more talented players, then maybe uh, you know offensive droughts like that or games won't happen as much in big situations like that. Let's say in a Sweet 16 of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, wherever everything else is going right, but you just can't make shots uh, with better players. You would hope, man, maybe maybe that you could kind of figure out a way to get around that and win those games. Yeah, his first order of business is going to be he's got he's got to get a couple of bigs in here. Oh, uh, you just don't have anybody on the low block right now, um, and so we'll see you know what he does there. But I you know college basketball going forward is going to be heavily influenced by the transfer portal. I that that's here to stay, and honestly, I think that's kind of fun. That that's working really well in college basketball. Um, I, leave it open. I I think yeah the um. OU, I'm assuming, is, is going to be hitting the portal really hard with Moser. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that uh, it, all signs are pointing to Harmon coming back. Uh, I, you know, I, I do think he is their most physically gifted player. Uh, he's really good at getting to the basket and finishing at the basket, and I, I think that's, that's an invaluable skill set to have. So um, we'll see. I know Brady Manick is in the transfer portal. I don't know his status or what's going to happen. Uh, we know Kirk Queth is has left the program. Um I, I don't really think they have any really tall guys, big guys at all, and I think that's going to be his first order of business. So we'll see. I am hopeful, uh, but also at the same time, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not willing to kind of dive head in like everyone else and say this is a home run because the fact that OU is able to get a home run higher in basketball is really suspicious to me, is all. All right, that's all I've got on basketball. If there's anything else, let me know. If not, let's wrap this bad boy up and uh, move on with our lives as we get closer to the spring game, which will be, boy, a week from Saturday. Is it already and, that? Uh, it's I've, already here, huh? Yeah, a week from this Saturday. So it's we're less than two weeks away, uh, two weeks away from the spring game. And I, at this time, I do believe I will be there. I think I'm going to be there unless something crazy changes. I think I'm going to be there for the game. Uh, no, hot ticket, right? Boo, big time hot ticket to be at the spring game. But uh, I think that's the plan right now. And uh, hopefully the weather is not terrible. 
I mean, we're going to be late April. You know, for the first time in, in years, we're not going to be dealing with a potential Thunder playoff basketball game going on the same exact day. I know it's a big deal for people that are in Oklahoma, as, you, as Grant yawns right now. Uh, that's fair, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, man, I'm, not, I just, I'm not yawning at the, at the Thunder. I mean, I, I understand that the Thunder are a big deal in Oklahoma. I don't, you know. Not right now. They are. They are a bad basketball but that's, team. That's good but, though. Like, I mean, but I, it's like, on. I, I'm oh, an it's NBA, on purpose. Yeah, I'm an NBA novice here, but like, you either want to be really good or really terrible in the NBA. If you're, if you're, if you're in between that, you are in purgatory. It is really bad. Yeah. Well, the Thunder kind of flipped the switch about three-ish weeks ago. They had kind of tried to play it both ways a little bit with their young players, but they got they realized that man, we. We have too much good young talent to lose enough. And they finally were just like, you know what? <laughs> we're just going to not play Al Horford anymore. <laughs> we're just going to tell him just to chill. <laughs> and they announced they're not going to play Al Horford anymore. And all of their like talented young people for the future have been suspiciously injured for a long time and haven't played a whole lot. So... Yeah, now you're getting like a legitimate like G League team every single night. Like, do people get it though? Like, are, do the fans understand? Like, that's you oh know, yeah, this is, yeah, this yeah. is the plan. I, oh, yeah. I think that's that's a sound plan. I, this is that's the incentive structure in the NBA, and until they change it, sorry. I mean, like, that's just you 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 can't get good in that league without top three picks. That's just a fact. All right, so obviously we'll have to be back next week. Uh, we'll have to find a way to do a show next week to have some sort of spring game preview, whichever you know, whatever that will entail. Uh, I, I mean, I can tell you right now how the brain, spring game is uh, going to go. Everyone's going to be super fired up for it. Everyone's going to be drinking for it. And then after the first quarter, they're they're going to tune out because it turns into I, I, unwatchable, essentially. Like once 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 Micah Bowens is in there throwing to Todd Hudson, I think that's kind of when people are gonna are gonna tune out. <laughs> I, I guess we'll do something where we're like, oh, you know, what what are the main things we're watching out for in the spring? You know, we'll do one of those things because that's always interesting and people like that kind of stuff. I, I know I would if I was you know if I was somebody watching or listening, I'd be kind of curious what uh, people were keeping an eye out for in the big old spring game. So that'll be the plan next week. Grant and I will be back for that, uh, you know, again, a week from this podcast. So uh, let us know on the West of Everest Facebook page if you have any thoughts, comments, concerns, questions about anything, and we'll do our best to get back to you. Uh, but until next week, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.